we're continuing our study in Haggai, the prophet. And this week, we finished up last week, chapter one. This week, we're in chapter two. And you can take your Bibles and turn there. We'll be in chapter two, uh, verse one. It's interesting in this passage, what's happened is that we find that last week in chapter one, we were, you know, God's people were stirred up. You remember that? They began to work. They were excited about the work. And you'll find out here in a minute, we're about three weeks away from there in our text today. And you know what? God's people are discouraged again. I was thinking about that. And even as I was thinking about Micah this morning, I was thinking about how many times in scripture do you see where God's people, they're on a high and then they're on a low. They're on a high and they're on a low. And I begin to realize, you know, Battling discouragement and battling opposition, battling those kinds of things, they're normal. To battle for joy, to to walk in the grace of God, to walk in those things and find the struggles in, in that is normal. I think sometimes in America, in the church in America, we start thinking everything's supposed to be smooth, don't we? We serve an almighty God so all of our problems go away. We start going, well, gosh, I'm praying to God and I'm reading his Bible and everything should just kind of kind of mesh in and everything should just work out, right? There shouldn't be no heartbreak. There should not be any difficulties. There shouldn't be any struggles. After all, I mean, we're more than conquerors. I mean, Greg nailed that in his series. But it doesn't have to, conquering doesn't have to do what's going on around us, but it has to do with everything and who we believe in has everything to do with what I see and understand in my heart. You see, I've come to the realization that the battling discouragement has kind of become a normal thing. It shouldn't catch me off guard. I shouldn't understand it. And I have these steps of faith that I go through to try to bring myself back around to that place where I understand what truth is. You see, my Bible that I read doesn't teach me that everything's just gonna be smooth. It teaches me about denying myself. It teaches me about taking up my cross. It tells me that just as they persecuted my Lord, they will persecute me. As they rejected him, they will reject me. And it's an understanding that who we are in Christ and and our identity that we find in him is what really gives us joy. It's that which establishes and sustains us in the midst of chaos. When we start looking around and it seems like darkness is closing in and our world is changing faster than we can even think and we can grow discouraged and we can, we can start to, to, to give up, we can start to feel like it doesn't matter anymore. And what I have to do is I have to bring myself and align myself back to God's word. Understanding the spirit of God that he's placed in me by faith. Understanding the work of Christ in my life and to walk on those principles of faith that I understand from his word. And really that's what's going on when we walk into Haggai chapter two. In Haggai chapter two, God's people are discouraged, if you will, let's read verses one and two. It says, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Don't you just love it? I, I know I've said this uh, a couple weeks ago that the term, the prophet, Haggai the prophet, the prophet, he uses it five times more than any of the other prophets. And I think he does that. I mean, you know, some might say, well, he's just trying to boast. I don't think that. I think he understands 
the importance of the message that he's bringing to the people of God. And he understands that he's bringing this word. It says right there, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. It was God that gave him that word. And he understood the responsibility to do that. And this is what, this is what God's word said to him. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetal, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, verse 3, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? It is as nothing in your eyes. I... I'm just blown away when I stop to think and realize the date here that we would have is October 17th and literally it's three weeks since uh, verse 15 of chapter one. Wrap your mind around that. At the end of chapter one, you see the people of God, they're excited, they're stirred up. God's word came to them. They had, they had faced opposition 16 years earlier. They had faced opposition 70 years earlier when they went into captivity. And now God, because of King Cyrus and his decree and his edict, they're able to go back to, to Jerusalem and to build that temple again. And they go back and they begin and opposition begins and they grow discouraged. And now it's 16 years later and God's temple is still laying there in ruins. And so God, by the prophet Haggai, comes to him, speaks to him again. We saw that in chapter 1. And by the end of chapter 1, verse 15, you see they're off to working. That gives us a date. And so we know now it's three weeks later, and here they are. They're discouraged again. Don't ever discount discouragement, people. It's powerful. It causes us to go one way when God wants us to go the other. It causes us to put down the tools of work. When God wants us to pick them up, it causes us to shrink back when God wants us to step forward. It causes us to close our mouths when God wants us to speak. But yet discouragement is a battle every one of us are facing every day. I would, if I could go around this morning, I bet if I, if I were to allow you and you could do it privately, many of you would begin to raise your hand. Yes, I'm battling discouragement. I'm battling discouragement. Many of you at home as well, probably raising your hand, I'm struggling with discouragement. And here it is three weeks later. They were excited about the work. God stirred them up. And now they're, now they're discouraged. They're looking back and they're comparing the temple that they're building to Solomon's temple. And they realize that it's not gonna be what Solomon had planned. It's not the intent of what Solomon had purposed or what they had they had seen that they wanted to build. In fact, I, I looked up some facts about Solomon's temple. It was extraordinary, to be sure. It required 180,000 men to build. 180,000. Just, just kind of take the population of Mansfield and double it, and you might come close, right? You might be in the same range. 180,000 men. It took them seven years to build it. It took 285 Tons, now I'm, I'm emphasizing that so you don't just think pounds, tons. I meant to look up and see how many tons were to, how many pounds to a ton, I forgot now. But 285 tons of gold. Think about that. 625 tons of silver. Bronze beyond me measure. It was magnificent and any comparison to what they were building to what Solomon had built would bring about discouragement. 
In fact, if we were to go back into Ezra chapter 3, you would read about the people. And what had happened is some of them, and you see in the first part of verse 3, it said, it asked, how many of you seen the tabernacle? Have seen that, ta- that, that temple in its former glory? How many of you have seen that? And the implication is there were some, we know that from Ezra 3. In fact, some believe Haggai was probably one of those that had seen that. And when you look back to those, they were looking back and they saw it in all of its glory and they realized they weren't building it. In fact, they even said, it's as nothing. It's as nothing. And you go back into Ezra 3 and the older, the older folks that had seen it, they're just welling. Their hearts are broken. They look at the foundation that they have and they realize it's nothing to what, what they had with Solomon and his temple. And their hearts are crushed and they're just loudly wailing. And yet the younger, younger folks that were there, they hadn't seen the temple. And you know what they're doing? They're cheering. They're full of joy. They're excited that God's building his temple in their midst. And it tells us in Ezra 3 that there was so loud, the wailing and the, and the cheering was so loud you couldn't distinguish between the two. And it created great ruckus that could be heard for miles. The present temple to them was, was kind of nothing in their eyes. You know, they were flooded with comparison. I think so many times it's, it's easy. I've gotten to that place in my life where I can look back, right? I remember those days. I remember when I came to Christ. I remember the, the joy of, of those songs we sang. I remember the, the preaching. that the, I remember the very message the pastor gave when I gave my life to Christ. I remember it. I remember him preaching. I remember how many times my heart fell under conviction during those days. I remember the scenery and the setup. And there's so many times, there's so many times for me to kind of go back and go, oh, those good old days. You know, they knew how to worship then. They knew how to teach, didn't they? They knew how to preach. They knew how. And what do we do? We start growing to discouragement in the present. And we've got to guard our hearts from that, dear people of God. I think that, you know, we've been talking about being followers of Jesus. And, and what does that look like? Well, a follower of Jesus in Philippians 3 tells us that he kind of lays all those things behind. And what does he do? He turns and he sets his eyes on the upward call in Christ Jesus. And dear people of God, here right now, you find the people of Judah were ready not to build, not to build because they were, they were looking back, they were focusing back. I noticed that in this too, when I thought about this, was there's a couple of things when, when you start looking back, when discouragement rises in our midst, I think there's a couple of steps that take place. You, <laughs> you all know me, I guess, and I hope I don't offend this morning. I always say that every Sunday. Lord, let me say things without offending. Um, but I, I find that in my flesh, that many times I do. But I find that, that when we grow discouraged, it's often because we compare and we draw conclusions. We begin to look around us and we go, well, I don't have what they have. I don't live in a house like that. I didn't get the job promotion. Why can't I have a job like that? Why can't I do what they're doing? And we grow upset. It's amazing how often that we, when we begin to compare, 
It's because we're looking at people and we're not looking at God. Several years ago, I had a friend of mine that I love dearly. He and his family had gone on vacation and they went, they went on a big, it was week long, it was a pretty big do. And I was seeing all the pictures, you know, on Facebook that they were taking all week long. It looked like, I mean, they were so close and everybody's smiling. There was always these pictures of this great time. And I'm like, wow, man, they're having a great time. I'll never forget when they came back, he called me up and he got with me. He said, Greg, I can't stand my family. I'm ready to leave my wife. I'm not kidding. I know that's funny, but isn't the reason we laugh is because how true is it? How true is it we begin to look at others and we think their life is all together and we grow discouraged because we're comparing instead of looking where we're supposed to be looking. And it grows us in discouragement. In fact, I was seeing a deal this week and it was about loneliness. And you know, you would think on the chart when they were the study, when, when they were doing it, you would think on loneliness <clears throat> that the older you get, the lonelier you get, right? And it was flipped in this study. The younger folks were the ones that were the most lonely. And they were, they were the ones that were growing discouraged more than the older folks. And I was stunned to see that. In fact, in the study, one of the things they did, they required some of their young folks that was in that younger category to just get off the internet, off social media for three months. And you know what began to happen? They weren't as lonely. They experienced less loneliness because what happens is when we grow discouraged, it's because we start looking around and we start comparing with what others have and we wonder why we don't have the same. And we draw conclusions. Oh, they must, everything must be going really well for them. Oh, they got that really nice car. They, they're doing really well. How many times have I could share as a pastor the people that I thought were doing so well walk in my office and you realize their life's about to fall apart. And dear people of God, if your eyes start going this way and you start looking this way, and you start looking at the jobs, and you start looking at the possessions, you start looking at other people, and you become dissatisfied with yourself because you don't have what you think those things. I can remember, and I just remember this. I remember when Lydia and I, we were, I think we were in Maine at the time. It was really early in our marriage. And I remember if we just make 30000 a year, we would be really well off, right? And I think now that's kind of like in poverty, isn't it? How, how deceptive we are that we would think. I grew up with my parents always, this is when a million dollars was really a million dollars, right? They used to always say, you are your parents. If only I had a million dollars. As if that would answer all of the problems because we start looking at other things and we grow discouraged when we don't have them instead of understanding that there's a God in heaven who establishes us and sets us up. And that's what's happened to Judah. They're ready to quit building. They're ready to stop building. You know, I, uh, I don't want to make it seem like when I'm saying these things up here, like I've got it all together. I just, I just want you to know that. This week, Monday and Tuesday, I was really struggling with the discouragement. I really didn't want to deal with this passage today. I didn't want to deal with so many of these things that I'm mentioning. And the Lord gave me such a precious verse. It really touched my heart, and I want to share it with you this morning. It's Psalm 3.3. It says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. 
If we were to go back and we were to look at verses one and two, we would see that David's enemies were surrounding him. He had many, many enemies. In fact, even at the point where they were saying in verse two, you know what they said? There's no, there's no salvation for him in God. God's not even gonna protect him. David could have very easily have begun to look around to all of his enemies, to those who wanted to take his life. He could have looked around and he, and he could have just been overwhelmed by those that were after him. But then in verse three, you know what he says? But in contrast to those who were after his life, he says, you, O Lord, not my, not my army, not the walls around me, not the caves I hide in, not the fast horse I ride on, but you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. You're my shield. And then look what he says. My glory, my glory. My heart was crushed with that. I remember as a kid, my dad walking in one time and I was telling some, we were to all of us were talking about our dads. My dad walked in and I went, that's my dad. I was so proud. Hey, there's my dad, right? My glory. My glory. You see, we think our glory is in the job that we possess or the, those pictures that we see and we compare ourselves. We think that's where our glory is. That's where the goodness is. And David understood it when these were after his very life and he said, my glory, you are my shield. You put a shield about me. You are my glory. You're the lifter of my head. And this morning, some of you may have walked in this room this morning and you were discouraged. I don't know the circumstances that is bringing discouragement to your heart, but I'm praying the spirit right now is moving through the room and through those in the, at home and the Spirit's just moving through and just reminding you it's God that lifts you up. He's your shield. He's your glory. It really struck my heart. It was very much to me this week, was such an encouragement to me. I just, I just stopped and I just sat in my office for a time and I was just sitting there and just praising God for that truth. And see, God is our shield. And what does God tell them here in Haggai chapter two in the, in the midst of their discouragement, in the midst of them wanting to give up? What does he say in verse four? Yet now, listen to it, he says it three times. Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. What does he say? He says, be strong, be courageous. Don't give up. And then look what he says. Work, work. Don't get discouraged and stop the building of my house. Work. Three times he says that, to be strong. Don't stop working for the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. Why? Look what he says in the very last part of verse four. For I am with you declares the Lord of hosts. For I am with you. God is with us. If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? 
Romans 8.31 is where that quote comes from. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, describing our great salvation. And he says, if God be for us, who can it be against us? If God gave his own son up for us, will he not give us all things? Who's going to bring an accusation against us? It's God who justifies. Who will condemn us? It's Jesus who died and rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on our behalf. Who can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. And he says that's why we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That's what Buckles was talking about in that series. We are more than conquerors. And God is saying to Judah, and he's saying, I believe, to us, be strong. Don't give up. Be courageous. I'm with you. I am with you. Look to me. And it's so easy right now in this day, in this culture, to kind of look around and begin to get tired. I did. I was feeling that way on Monday. I was like, Lord, man, this world is just rejecting you as fast as I can see. Darkness seems to be crawling in faster than I can turn the light on. You grow discouraged. You lose courage. It seems like opposition that God is considered non-essential. I mean, I've even heard where people are discussing that the Bible is hate speech now. The battle is growing and we're trying to learn how to lead our families and, and raise our children in this environment and it can grow tiring. But God says to us, be strong. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Work for the kingdom, work for the gospel, work for Christ. Don't give up. Don't give up. It's easy looking here and you go, well, you know, Greg, yeah, that was the Old Testament. It was kind of easy to see, you know, the way that they kind of build the temple and they see all these things. You know, that's kind of Old Covenant stuff. What, is it, what about the New Testament? I, I, I love this passage so, so many times. You see, we like to kind of hit on, on, on the middle part. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I have commanded you. We like to quote that part, but we forget the verse before it and the verse after it. Look what he says. And Jesus came and said to them, what does it say, people? People of God, what does it say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Let that set for a minute. It's his power. We grow discouraged in our own power. We grow discouraged when we look at the things in the world. And Jesus says, all authority of heaven and earth has been given to me. Go. Go. Don't be discouraged. Look to me. There's the power. But look what he says at the very last of it. Right afterwards, he says, observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, What? I am with you always to the end of what? The age, to the end of the age. You see the power and the presence of God at work in our lives. It's not just the Old Testament, dear people of God, it's right now today, right now. 
And don't let the world, don't let a pandemic, don't let a recession, don't let all the hate and the division lose sight of what God has called us to be in this world. Go ye therefore. Why? Because Christ has all authority in heaven and earth. And Christ will be with you always. Always. And dear people of God, we need to understand that. When I understand that, you know what? Discouragement and fear kind of melt away, don't they? When we focus in that moment on the glory and the power and the strength of our almighty God, what happens to discouragement? What happens to fear? Because all of a sudden we're not looking at what's around us. We're looking to an almighty God who is able to sustain and keep his people and see us through. Look what he goes on and says in verse 5 of Haggai chapter 2. He says in verse 5, he tells them to work. I'm with you, declares the Lord, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Fear not. He's telling them not to fear. Why should they not to fear? Because his spirit is in their midst. It literally means standing in your midst. And he's going back to Exodus. When he called his people out of Exodus, you know what he told them? He told them, he said, I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna go before you. I'm gonna clear the way. And he's telling Judah right here, they're about to try to build this temple and they're, they're frustrated and discouraged. And he says, I'm with you. Just as then, I'm just as much with you now. And you know what, dear people of God? He's just as much with us today. Do you believe that? I think sometimes we forget that. When I see the way that we, we go about the things of God, that we forget that our God is still with us. His spirit dwells within us. He tells us that his spirit is put in us and we are what? The temple we are the temple of the living God. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us by faith. It tells us in, Ex in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, what? Not to be drunk with wine. Why? Because that's debauchery. But to what? To be controlled, to be filled by the Holy Spirit of God. That we as God's people in our walks are to be submitting ourselves to God in such a way that his spirit fills us up and when, you know, one of the signs of him filling us up, it's not discouragement. It, if you go there in Ephesians 5, 18 and following, you know what it is? It's thanksgiving. It's making melody with one another. It's unity within the body. We start submitting ourselves to one another. Why? Because I want my way or you want your way or we just start fighting these ways. No, we submit to one another. Why? In reverence for Christ. It's what it says right there in the text. For Christ. It's interesting, in the Old Testament covenant, God was standing in their midst. In the New Testament, God is in us. God is in us. Think about that. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I think, and I grew up, and our parents had different, some different theological beliefs. I used to talk about this Holy Spirit with them quite often. And so many times I think we, we focus on the wrong things when we talk about the Holy Spirit. 
And I, and I like some passages in Acts, in the book of Acts, where others would want to kind of emphasize the miraculous and say, oh, that's the Holy Spirit, or that's the Holy Spirit. But when I look through that book of Acts, I want to show you what I see of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive, what's that word, dear people of God? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be what? My witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. What does he say? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be what? Witnesses. I'm sometimes bothered by people who say they're so close to God, and they read God's word so much, and have no concern for the lost. Forgive me, that was my flesh. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered together was shaken. Oh, I wish I could be there. No, you know what? I wish our people were so filled with the Spirit of God, our, our chairs would shake, our building would shake. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with what? They weren't discouraged. They had people trying to kill them, and they were still going back out there. Why? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is interesting here. This is Stephen. Remember Stephen, first martyr that was recorded in the New Testament? Stephen's being crushed with rocks, thrown upon him, his skull's crushing in, his body's being crushed. He's about to die, and it says, But he, full of what? Holy Spirit wasn't going, well, wait a second, guys. Let's talk about this a little bit more. Hey, I didn't really mean what I said. Let's rediscuss this. I didn't know it was going to turn out like this. No, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he glazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Do you think he really recognized all the people that were throwing stones at him right then? Or was his eyes set where they needed to be set? When we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, our eyes get directed in the right direction. Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. Man. Had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of what? The Holy Spirit. And the church multiplied. I think so many times today, I'm, I really have grown really tired of it. I don't like going to these conferences anymore. It's kind of like, oh, pastors need, if you do this, your church is going to grow. You do this, and this is going to happen. Oh, man, the reason you're not experiencing it is because you're not pulling the people and you're doing this. You know what? When God's spirit falls on his people, I don't care what we're doing. There will be peace. There will be building up, not tearing down and complaining and criticizing one another. There will be unity bound by the Spirit of God. And there will be a fear of God, recognizing the people I'm criticizing are God's people. I'm criticizing his own people. And you know what happens? Then the church will multiply. Dear people of God, we need to be responsible for our own church growth. Each one of us. Jesus has called us and we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and walking in him and after him. 
Acts 13, 52, and the disciples were filled with what? Joy and with the Holy Spirit. And I think those go together, joy and Holy Spirit. I pray this morning that the Spirit of God is moving among his people, that he's speaking to us. It's going up and down every chair. It's going into every home. Not because I want to see some outcome, but because I want to see God do what only he can do. I pray his spirit is moving in our hearts. Verse six, and I'm going to notice God's power in verse six. It says, for, says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, six times, or five times from verses six to nine, he says this phrase. You think, you think God's trying to make a point to his people? For thus says the Lord of hosts, for thus says the Lord of hosts, God is telling his people who grow discouraged at the face of opposition, he's reminding them of something. He's reminding them that he's the king, that he's the sovereign one, he's the Lord of hosts. You're growing discouraged, but don't worry, I am the Lord of hosts. He says this in this passage, verses one through nine, six times. You think God over and over and over again is trying to help them to understand his sovereignty. My walk with God totally changed when I began to understand that my God is sovereign and I yield myself to him. Totally changed, totally changed my walk. And he's telling his people over and over again, his discouraged people, I'm in charge, I'm in charge. Look, as, look on as he says, yet once more, in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, verse seven, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Verse eight, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. It's interesting. This is, there's some debate about what all this means and so forth. Understand when you're talking about prophecy, sometimes prophecy is like looking down time, but it looks like one picture. So it's like I'm standing here on the stage and there's people in the chairs and then at the back, there's a back door. And there's distance between each one of these. And so there's sometimes an idea when you see prophecy, you kind of see that some of these events happening, but there's distance between them. And here, I think what God is telling, telling Judah is that, hey, I'm gonna build this temple. This temple is gonna get built. And I think he's looking down and you also see that, hey, Jesus is gonna conquer sin and death. That Jesus is gonna go through and he's gonna go to the cross and he's gonna die, but he's gonna rise again and he's gonna conquer sin and death. And then as you look on down, there's gonna be a day when God comes and he will establish his glory. He will establish his kingdom once and for all. And all will see and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and they will know that he is God. Right now, sometimes darkness seems like it's, it's winning, but God will establish his kingdom. Can you imagine the day? Can you imagine it? When Jesus in all of his glory, when Jesus in all of his glory walks in and every knee bows and every tongue confesses, in all of his glory, in all of his, managing, uh, all of his majesty, in that day, what a day. May it be today. What a day will that be? When every tear would be wiped away once and for all, the, soul, the silver, the gold, all these things are his and it will not, glory will not, the Solomon's temple will not even come close to comparing to 
That's why we people are people that are looking off to that day. We're not looking back to a previous day. We're looking off to the day when Christ would come, when he would be, he would be king and he established his kingdom once and for all. It says in verse nine, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, right? The latter glory will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give you peace, declares the Lord. <clears throat> I, wanna, I want you to take your Bibles. I'm gonna close over in Hebrews chapter, <clears throat> chapter 12. And I wanna begin reading in verse 26. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. Please turn there. This is the only place in anywhere else that the book of Haggai is quoted. The book of Hebrews is written and it's comparing our old covenant with the new covenant. God's, God's ways whereby people went through a sacrificial system and a system that, that had its flaws to now a new covenant in Christ Jesus. And he's talking about a kingdom that cannot be shaken when he's talking in this section of, of Hebrews. And he begins, and I'm gonna just pick up at verse 26. It says, at that time, his, that's God's voice, shook the earth but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase right here where we read a minute ago in Haggai, this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Here's the picture. There's coming this place in time, looking down that time. There's coming this place when God's gonna shake. And whatever's not eternal, whatever's not gonna remain, is just gonna fall to the side. You know, when I was a kid, <laughs> when I was a kid, I played a lot of sports. I can remember this one game we were playing in the championship game. And I remember it was, we had gone into overtime and I was playing on the, on the outside and I remember going and it was a sweep and everybody's pursuing and I started to pursue. But out of the corner of my eye, I see this guy going this way and I'm like, on the other team, I'm like, that doesn't look right. So I begin to back up. And I point the quarterback turn and he threw the ball and I reached up and I pulled that ball out of the air and I beelined it down the sideline, scored the touchdown, we won the championship game. You know how many people remember that moment? All those things you think you're accomplishing? All those things you think you're building, there's gonna come a time when everything's gonna be shook. And the only thing that's gonna remain is a kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. In that great day, that's what will remain. And we should be thankful. That's what he says right there. He, said, <clears throat> he says, uh, that is the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. If, you've been, if you walked in today discouraged, you should be walking out today rejoicing. For you're part of a kingdom that will not be shaken. Everything's gonna get shaken. Everything's gonna get moved around and what's gonna remain. All the kingdoms of the world and their accomplishments, all the brilliant men that have ever existed, all the, all the people who have come with great ideas, all of those things are gonna be shaken and where are they gonna be? And what's gonna remain? And in that day, Jesus and all of his glory and all of his majesty and who he is, he will walk into his kingdom in all of his glory and it will remain. What should we do? 
Look what it says in the last part of verse 28. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let us worship him. Let us, be in, let us uh, approach him with reverence and with awe. If you're discouraged today, you just you need to quit looking around. Get off social media. Quit looking at what other people are doing. Look to your king. Look to King Jesus. Look to him. When I was a kid, uh, I got to meet Andre Crouch. I can't sing worth the darn nor all the tune, but I really love some of his songs. There was one that he had that to this day, if I could sing, I would sing it. But I want to repeat the words for you. Those of you that were in my generation will, may remember this song. It says, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there is no other. Jesus is the way. And it repeats several times. And then it says this, if you have some questions in the corner of your mind and traces of discouragement and peace you cannot find, reflections of the old past that seem to face you every day, there is one thing I know for sure, that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there is no other. Jesus is the way. Dear people of God, do you believe that? Do you believe that? We are his people. And he's put his spirit in us that we might work, that we might be strong and courageous, and that we do not falter back, we do not grow weak need, we stand in his power. Let's pray. Father God, you know your people, you know every heart that's here, everybody that's online. Father, you know them, you know them personally. You know the hairs of their head. Father, you know the hearts that are pushing you away and the hearts that are that are seeking you and trying to draw you in. Father, may your spirit move just up and down every chair. May your spirit move in the homes that are watching. Father, may you do your work and may, Father, we not be a people of hard hearts, but, Father, people that yield our hearts to you and surrender ourselves to you, to your glory and to your, to your work, to what you're doing. It's in Jesus' name, amen.